welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Yeah, so Stephanie, grateful recovering sexaholic. Um, I, um, yeah, I wanted to share on this topic um, about that distinction between that, um, that shout of lust in my mind um, versus that more nuanced whisper of God's voice. Um, and uh, as you can see, I'm in the car. I'm, um, I'm visiting family right now, my brother's family, and um, I'm going on a meditation retreat a little bit later today. I'm starting, so um, I apologize. I'm just kind of um, in between. But I wanted to have the, I was very honored to have the chance to be asked to share on this. Um, so... Um, <clears throat> I also um, feel, um, I think, a little bit more vulnerable sharing today. Um, when I've spoken in the past, um, it's um, the times that I've shared have been um, a little bit different. I feel like they've been a little bit more focused on my disease in general and my recovery from the disease in general. Um, but today... Um, I'll be sharing, I think, um, is maybe especially towards end a little bit more focused on, um, yes, the disease, the recovery from the disease, and a little bit more focused on what that, I think, looks like, um, maybe specifically as, as a woman and, um, and um, it, you know, somebody in her 30s and, and things like that. Um, <clears throat> But um, yes, to start off, um, my um, life, as you could probably guess, before recovery was not great. Um, I was acting out all the time. My earliest memories were um, around the age of five, but um, my parents um, have shared things with me, um, not realizing, I don't think they necessarily realized it was part of the disease, but they've shared things with me that... um, kind of indicate to me that it started before that. Um, I struggled with many different types of acting out, um, um, you know, with others, pornography and masturbation, exhibitionism, crossing lines of gender and species, um, just, and noticing um, marked progression in my disease as I got older. Um, and that whole time that I was acting out, it was like this um, extremely loud voice that was in my mind that was compelling me um, to act in a, in a compulsive manner. Um, and it, was, it scared me, um, but it was also something that I didn't totally understand as dangerous, even though it clearly was. And it came from, I think the loudness came from the fact that I was so numb to my life. And that also prevented me from having meaningful connections with other people. I felt very isolated. 
I definitely had a God drive um, as well at the same time. I had that God lust split within me from a very young age. I was acting out all the time, even again at the age of five. Um, but I was the one who couldn't wait to get my parents to take me to church at the same time. They were just both there. Um, I also really um, appreciated and enjoyed meditation when I was young, even though I didn't necessarily know what meditation was, but sitting quietly in nature um, and um, just trying to tune in, trying to tune into that whisper, that was a drive within me. Um, but it was something that um, I struggled to maintain or to do very well. Um, so that, that was a lot of my life um, before the program. Coinciding with this um, acting out and this lust was um, very poor boundaries. Um, I didn't have good boundaries with other people. And um, I just gave my power away, as it says in the white book, far too much. And again, didn't really realize that that's what I was doing. Um, uh, 11 years ago, so about six years before I got into SA, um, in my desperation for some sort of solution, I started attending meditation retreats. Um, actually, the same type that I'm about to start again today. Um, and <clears throat> that was one of my first inklings of um, moving away from that shout of lust, um, that kind of fire hydrant of lust. Um, it, when I would go on these retreats, it would help to clear out the lust. It would quiet my mind. The thoughts would go away. Um, they would just sort of die out slowly after a few days of meditating. And I started experiencing some quiet. But these retreats are non-denominational. They don't involve a higher power. And so when I would leave the retreats, um, I would act out again. I'd go back out into the world. I didn't have a higher power that I was connecting with. And um, actually my disease progressed possibly much more quickly because of what I was doing, going on these retreats, cleaning out the lust, and then going back out into the world. Um, and it was kind of you know, explained to me or shown to me that very possibly the reason for this is that um, I, as a sexaholic who didn't have a higher power or a program of recovery, I was just cleaning myself out, but I was still um, in my disease. I didn't have a higher power to fill me up. So I just became a vacuum, just taking in, ready to take in just that much more lust, basically. So that went on for five years before I got into SA, going on a retreat, going back out into the world and acting out, going back on a retreat to getting to like get cleaned out and then to act out and then cleaned out and then acting out. Um, just going back and forth. So that's that's what was happening with me. And I watched my disease just get worse and worse. Um, and then in 2017, uh, my sobriety date is, uh, is uh, February 27th of uh, 2017. Um, that was um, uh, when I got into the program. I had just um, hit my, it was actually my second bottom. <clears throat> 
when I hit my first bottom, um, I didn't know about SA yet. <clears throat> and I tried to turn all of that acting out with many other people and pornography into um, a new solution, which would be um, a dependency relationship. And when that ended, um, uh, when that wasn't a solution either, um, then I got into the program. And when I got into the program, my life changed for the better um, tremendously and also fairly quickly. Um, I, I was willing to let go. I, this is not necessarily the right thing for everybody, but for me, what was right for me was to let go of much of my life um, that I had currently built up. Um, I set boundaries. I went from no boundaries to setting lots of boundaries. I, I set boundaries with my family members temporarily. They also did not live close to me, so it was a little bit different too. But I set more boundaries with them for a time. Um, I set lots of boundaries with my friends. My best friend from second grade, I, I actually um, stopped um, communicating very much with. She was, um, she'd been very heavily addicted to pornography since um, elementary school. And I was, I felt afraid of, of being in that environment. Um, so I was very kind, but I set boundaries. Um, really, I just maintained my job. I kept my career and, um, and some connections, but I really let go of a lot of my life. Um, once I got into the program, sort of right away, I was sort of desperate to do that. And um, so lots of boundaries. And I jumped into service work. Um, I, I felt so um, scared without lust and so afraid and not knowing what my identity was. And um, so kind of in that initial void that I felt in the early days of sobriety, um, I, um, when, you know, somebody would say, oh, we need an IGR for intergroup and I would volunteer or, you know, there would be letter writing to prisoners, like group letter writing and um, I would volunteer and I watched people um, uh, share their step work and I would, um, you know, start working on my steps and I worked the 12 steps in the first six months just, again, because I felt like I had all this time all of a sudden because... I had been giving so much time to my disease. Um, and I was starting to hear that whisper of God. Um, it was definitely uh, showing up for me. Um, I had been raised in one faith tradition, and I let go of that faith tradition when I was 17. And when I got into the program and I was starting to get some recovery, somebody had suggested, you know, to pray about finding um, a, a faith tradition, being led to a faith tradition. So I did that, and um, that really helped a lot. I really felt like in my faith tradition, I've been able to develop um, an emotional connection with my higher power. Um, in some ways, it's like, okay, God, please, you know, save me from lust. And sometimes the nature of the relationship is almost um, practical in that way. But it's also... Um, very emotional, of course, and obviously it's it's very spiritual. So um, 
developing that emotional connection with God helped me to kind of tune in to what he was saying and to feel as though it was a personal relationship with a loving higher power, um, not just a general or abstract relationship, um, you know, with, with an unknown entity, but to really feel like God was right there with me. Um, <clears throat> and I just started experiencing more and more uh, recovery. Things were getting better. Um, and I was just finding that, that progress and that happiness and more of that nuance in life. Um, I used to feel in, you know, that kind of, again, shout of lust. It was like lust just kind of shouted over real life that was taking place. And so um, I wasn't really experiencing my life. Um, I was just becoming more numb. But in recovery, it was going back to, okay, what is my life actually? Um, I used to see people. Uh, I used to kind of, you know, I've shared about like, sometimes almost seeing myself as like the Grinch, um, like the Grinch who stole Christmas, because when I would see people, you know, families, for instance, who were just with each other, like at a park playing, um, and there was just love there, I just didn't understand it. I felt like an outsider. I didn't understand that type of connection. I understood less connection. Um, but in recovery, it started making sense as those connections started to, to develop with people in the program and to develop with my higher power. Um, so um, I really appreciated that. Um, also in the program, I was kind of hearing this uh, sort of message of, you know, um, because, you know, lust was such a huge voice in my mind when I got into the program and because I needed sobriety so badly, um, I would hear um, people share things like, you know, to maybe to, to listen to the people in the program, to listen to your sponsor um, rather than listening to the self. Um, so I was continuing that and um, and, you know, a year went by and two years went by and um, I had uh, hobbies that I was involved with and volunteered with and I kept developing more connections with the people in those groups. So it was also outside 12 stuff as well. So I was finding that more and more connection with people and finding I was really able to kind of show up in this new way and, and I started sponsoring. And so all these things were great and working with my sponsor. Um, but... Um, after about maybe two and a half years, um, I guess it was about two and a half years or so, um, I was noticing kind of a shift. Um, you know, I, I shared, so I have uh, five years and 18 days, and kind of around this five-year mark is when I've really kind of taken some time to reflect on my recovery and what's sort of been happening with my recovery and um, what sort of shifts have taken place and changes and things that I've learned. It's been a very, like, reflective period. And um, so around this, you know, two and a half or three years, um, there was a shift where um, I started um, to kind of fear, um, um, I think, I, I, how could I put it? I think I started wanting to kind of hold on to my sobriety um, really to make sure that I was going to stay sober. But the truth is that I am only sober by the grace of God one day at a time. 
um, God operates in the moment. Um, I can't say, I'm never going to lose my sobriety. That's kind of asking for me to lose my sobriety, right? So, um, but I, I started wanting to kind of hold on to sobriety. Um, I started becoming afraid of any any risks and communicating with other people um, uh, that might um, hinder my my sobriety. Um, so, for example, when I got into the program, I, I stopped, you know, hanging out with men. I didn't um, get into any relationships or go on dates or anything like that. Um, I would do service work and connect um, at that level, and that was structured. And that actually really helped my recovery just to be involved with service work. Um, and then, you know, I was a part of these other communities outside of 12-step, and that was, you know, working great for the first couple of years. But around the time that this happened, I started kind of pulling back and thinking, is this okay? Is this interaction okay? Or is this lust? Is this other interaction okay? Or is this lust? I started questioning a lot of things in terms of, is this lust? Is this lust? And I started pulling back. And when I started pulling back, that went on for a couple of months I started leaving some of those communities outside of 12-step. Um, and then the pandemic hit. And that was very crushing to me because um, as much as, you know, it's been wonderful to be able to be on um, meetings online, um, I was really involved with a lot of in-person service work with hospitals and institutions and uh, the Correctional Facilities Committee an inner group and things like that. And that was such a crucial part of my recovery. Um, and so um, having, uh, kind of not having that all at once um, was, it was devastating to me. It was very difficult. Um, paired with the fact that even before the pandemic, I had started to feel um, some fear about my, my um, interactions with others just sort of questioning, even if there wasn't lust there, I started to question, maybe there might be or there could be. And I think my character defect of perfectionism was kicking in. And so um, so as, as things kind of continued through the pandemic, um, I continued to do service work um, online and through the phone and to continue to go to meetings. Um, but there was still kind of this fear and you know, there, some of the guidance I had received kind of questioned this idea of, you know, maybe ever having children, you know, if I'm a sexaholic, maybe ever, maybe not doing that. Um, a lot of hesitation um, around dating and these kinds of things. Um, and recently, um, something just, um, I, I went through a very difficult period two summers ago, again, in the midst of the pandemic, where... Um, I was going on walks because I had more time because I wasn't driving to work anymore. And um, I got into this very scary situation where I was um, getting followed where I was, where I was living became less safe and I was getting followed. And I almost um, lost my sobriety over that. Um, I was doing everything I could to go to meetings, do step work, connect with my sponsor, many outreach calls a day, but it was a very difficult time for me. And I wanted to stay where I was living um, because I liked where I was living. And I thought God wanted me to stay where I was living. Um, but um, it turns out that 
God did not want me to stay where I was living. Um, and I just sort of, it was just sort of this message, again, this whisper. What was um, that voice that was very loud was, um, you know, you have to stay, you have to stay. But God was quietly saying, it's time to move. And it was me who did not want to move. And so once I realized that I did move, I went on a trip first and it was amazing. It was just, God just completely watched over me. And I found that when I would travel, there was no fear of lust at all. I wasn't afraid, um, oh, is what I'm doing right or wrong? Is everything all right? There was just this, God, you tell me where to go next. And just surrendering to that, not knowing where I was even. Oh, yes. Five minutes left. Oh, thank you so much, Luke. Um, and not, you know, not knowing where I was going to go next, and it was just wonderful. Um, so, um, so um, a lot of changes happened, um, you know, in the in the past couple of years. But um, more recently, I started settling into my feelings. I went on another trip. I was with God. It was three months. Um, it brought me closer to my father. And in all these interesting ways, God kept leading me to places that were going to help me to connect with my father more. And um, so I, I I was with that, that whisper um, for those three months. And I was just in this great place. And when I came back after the summer... Um, I started feeling feelings that I had not felt in a while. I just started connecting with myself. And what I realized was that that, that idea of, you know, I, to maybe not listen to myself and to listen, you know, more just sort of to my sponsor and to others, um, I had taken that in too deeply. Um, was that a really good thing for me to hear when I got into the program? Absolutely. It was because when I came into the program, I was like all lust, you know, I just, that was my life and it was shouting in my ear and I couldn't hear anything else. And I, it didn't really matter how strict the boundaries were when I first got in, that was what I needed. But I got in when I was 32 years old and now I'm 37 and I realized, you know, I've been afraid of this idea of maybe being open to um, to dating or even to being to, to kind of talking with men outside of the program and that actually you know I've been healing and I've been um, I, I've been hearing God's voice um, within myself um, from connecting and building up trust with God and knowing you know God I, I can go on this trip put my life in your hands listen to where you guide me and you guide me to safety every time, and you protect me. And so um, I guess what I'm trying to say is, if I really have a relationship with God, and I'm really not in lust, and I'm really listening to that quiet whisper, um, if something in me is saying, you know, this might be the right path for you, or it's okay to be open to this, as long as you're not attached to the outcome, you're not attached to this. Um, I was pushing that voice down because not only is lust very loud and shouting, but so is pride and shame. Shame being just the other side of the coin from lust. So I think that crept into my recovery. 
And I really wanted to share that because um, I think that um, I, I had felt God saying, be open, you know, be more open to these different ideas or be open to the idea of, you know, a family or dating or something like that. You, you have years of sobriety. And I didn't allow that for myself because I was kind of hearing different messages that were coming in and I was getting perfectionistic. But something about this most recent trip that I took helped me to get back in touch with my emotions and to realize openness is okay. Attachment, on the other hand, is basically lust. And to distinguish between the two, to be able to have that more nuanced approach to recovery, um, I, I would have liked to have had that sooner. And that's something that I'm just kind of processing now, um, you know, because there are implications, right? Waiting that long and, um, you know, kind of becoming a little bit older and things like that, it, it does have, um, you know, potential consequences um, on some level. Um, but I'm, I'm learning it now. And that's what matters is I have a relationship with God. I can trust in that. I have to listen to other. Oh, thank you, I have to trust and I have to listen to my brothers and sisters in the program. Absolutely. But I can listen to what God is saying to me as well and to realize that God is within me and he is without me. So um, anyway, that's what I wanted to share. And thanks so much for listening. Thank you. Thank you so much, Stephanie. It's fantastic to hear a share from a woman and all the issues relating to our emotional and spiritual health, as well as my actual physical surprise. I really enjoyed that. My question is, when you began, I'm only eight months sober. I've been in about 18 months, 17 months. When you first began, the sense that you could listen to God, as well as take direction from your sponsor and other members, how did that actually work out in the early, very first steps for you? Um. Hey, Kathy, again, it's so good to see you again. <laughs> um, and uh, that's a great question. Um, in, in early recovery, um, basically when I got in, because, well, A, because I hadn't had a real connection with my higher power in my faith tradition in childhood, um, I didn't have that kind of real intimate connection. Um, and then I left, on top of that, I left my faith tradition for all of my 20s and early 30s. Um, when I came in, it was like completely starting anew again. So I really leaned on my sponsor. I really leaned on the women in the program. Sometimes I just jokingly share that one time I was just, it was just a couple days into sobriety and I just, I really was about to reach out and call somebody, uh, to, that an acting out, a former acting out partner. and my hand just moved over to um, a, a, a recovery sister's phone, um, you know, phone number. And I prayed that she wouldn't pick up because I wanted to act out. I was like, please don't pick up, please don't pick up. But she did, and it kept me sober. And um, so that, that was, you know, where I, I was at when I first got in, um, start, sort of starting at ground zero. And um, uh, when I brought in that faith, that faith tradition, I kept praying and I listened to the people around me and I got a very specific direction for which faith tradition to move towards. It was like a whole series of synchronicities. And, um, and in, in this faith tradition, we sit in silence for an hour. It's, it's a Christian-based um, faith tradition. And in that silence, um, 
I was trying at the beginning, I was trying to focus on God and developing a connection, but lust was so loud. So I'd focus on that, but then I would start thinking about, um, you know, kind of being held by somebody, you know, it, it started going into romantic lust. Um, and I'd go back the next week and I'd try to focus on God. It would go to romantic lust, but I kept going. I kept going every week. And eventually that, um, abstract image of somebody kind of holding me it turned into god holding me and i kept going back and i kept going back and after that after a couple more weeks of that um god just it, it was like instead of even feeling as though i was being held by god god just sort of merged right into me it was completely unexpected it was like whoa and as that progressed um in a positive way um you know, I used to, like a meeting would end or I'd stop talking to a sister on the phone and I would feel so much emptiness when I first got into the program. Like I didn't want anything to ever end because I was so lonely. But when I kept developing that relationship with God, it just became like a meeting would end, a call with somebody would end and it was like as smooth as butter. After that, and I, then I found myself with myself, I felt connected to God. So I stopped feeling like this huge hole in my heart that needed to be filled and it just felt like this effortless thing so that that's what it was um like for me in that transition from being very you know kind of focused more on on the outer to that uh, connection with god thank you kathy thank you so much thank you both um don't forget to raise your virtual hand if you want to share you can also do it physically as we're not a lot of people and i can see everyone at the moment nancy you're on yeah, hi, I'm Nancy Sexaholic. Wow. I'm I'm not even sure <laughs> question to ask. Uh, that was an amazing share. Uh, and to listen to the progression, which goes to the previous question, a very natural but open, completely open, not, not having outcomes. I, and I just want to thank you for your vulnerability. Uh, the speaker that I had originally lined up for day, today in you know, different circumstances couldn't make it and made a lot of calls. And we've never even met, Stephanie. I've never heard your name. Or, and one thing that came up in our conversation was this previous speaker and her ideas of sharing. And I felt like that was such an amazing experience for me of the still voice of God. Thank, you. Thank you. And maybe you could talk to me about us, about that still voice. Thank you, Nancy. Uh, thank you, Nancy. Um, yes, I, um, so when I, sometimes what I noticed was in my, around this time that I was noticing the shift where, you know, I'd had these very strong, I went from like no boundaries, right, to very strong, very high boundaries. And, um, and I realized that it was sort of a pendulum swing, which I think was just a necessary part of the program or for my, you know, particular program of recovery that, you know, I'm, I'm going through life and I'm learning, right? So it was like this, it went over like this. And then I feel like right now, what it feels like is it's starting to come towards the middle. Now, when it went from acting out and no boundaries to 
recovery, early recovery and very, very high boundaries to the point where it, I would almost, almost call it a little bit of a fear-based recovery, a fear-based approach um, where I was at. Um, again, I think that was necessary, right? I, I was um, afraid that I wasn't going to live much longer. So, of course, um, I was trying to protect myself. I didn't really know what was going on, but I was just taking the next step and the next step. And I think this is coming to a place of less fear. So what that looked like, that still voice of God, was that when my boundaries were actually very high, um, perhaps too high, and I was kind of backing away from even things that were not lust, um, I was actually hearing God say, that's too strong. I was actually hearing God say, you don't have to be worried about this particular thing, this particular interaction. Um, it's okay, you know, um, you're healing. But, um, but I was not, um, I wasn't open to that um, at that time. I was hearing God more, but I wasn't, you know, there were still times where I was like, no, God, I can't, like, no, I, I need to just know, you know, I need to know that I'm going to be sober. I was actually clinging to um, technical literal sobriety. And so now um, that those three months, uh, I think in particular for me this past summer when I went across the country um, and I just let God lead me, I never knew where I was going to be the next day. That it was like, and I, I shared this one time at another talk, but it was like my, you know, I, I just knew God was going to protect me. And my dad said, there's fires. And I said, they're in California and I'm leaving California. And he said, there's mudslides. And I was like, I missed them by a day. And he's like, there's flooding in New Hampshire. And I'm like, I'm in a treehouse for the next three days. Good thing. And I mean, it was like every single thing that happened. It was just like, whoosh, you know, it was unbelievable. And it just, it was that, that whisper, I think it's more just like, an emotion, a grounded emotion that I'm feeling. It was like God was just speaking to me. It was the emotion of I'm safe, I'm protected, I'm loved. And that, that just helped me to just kind of go through that trip without, without concern and without worry. So that's what it was like for me. Thanks, Nancy. Wow. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Moshe, your hand was up and down and up. And I think, I think Moshe is not here anymore. Okay, Martina, your turn, please. Yeah, thanks, Luke, for your service. And thanks very much for your share, Stephanie. This was a really wonderful share, so much based on the spiritual experience. And I could relate so much, like, as well to the time before the program and also, like, the changes which took place, all the miracles the deeper and more more personal relationship to your higher power, and yeah, I'm I'm very touched by your share, and um, yeah, I just shared today with my sponsor that I need to protect myself. I cannot start a sober date. I mean, I'm more than five and a half years sober, and actually, you would say, okay, like you are sober, you could start sober dating, you could reach out for men, but I feel like I cannot reach out for men. I need to protect myself. And um, how can I tell if this is like a true connection? How can I tell is this Hi. love or is this lust? Thanks for time, Margot. How can I tell? Um, and I just wanted to ask you if, if you have any experiences on that. Thanks. 
Thank you so much for sharing that, Martina. Yes, I, I really appreciate you sharing that because that's what it's been like for me. There's been sort of like a, you know, I think an encouragement to hold off um, and, you know, kind of regardless of the number of years. And, and there's this there's this idea, which I, I'll be honest, I think it's a very controversial idea. Um, uh, either side, it's a controversial topic, which is um, to, to wait, uh, first of all, um, the, the, the options, right? To, to not date at all, like if, if one is single and one comes into the program, um, is, is it sort of like to, to not date at all? Um, or to, to, you know, allow God to kind of bring that to you um, or to go out and to date. And um, I definitely personally would think that that answer would be different for every person. Um, but, um, you know, for me, uh, um, I've kind of been sort of presented with those ideas of, um, of maybe not dating at all or if it's really in my face. For me personally, when I went through that difficult time with the pandemic, what ended up really showing up for me was uh, actually a, a, when I wasn't looking for it. Um, was a person who was, um, something very scary was happening. Um, uh, I was basically um, getting stalked when I, I was going on these walks during the pandemic and it, it was a really scary time for me. And that was something that was really kind of uh, coming to me. Um, for me, what caused me to feel this sense of um, I'm going to be open to dating, uh, it was a couple of things. One was, I, I do not feel, I really and truly do not feel in my heart as though I need somebody in order to complete me or to make me happy. I actually rather enjoy being, <laughs> um, I actually rather enjoy being single and being on my own. I've, God has just, these two trips that I went on, this traveling, they weren't my idea. I was actually trying to just find a new place to live. God was the one who was kind of, I was in a place where I had no other option but to go on these trips. Like God was very clearly like, you, you need to do this right now. <laughs> um, so not my idea. And so it's got, God was kind of like, I'm like, okay, well, if, you know, this is, this is your voice and it's also fun. It's not what I was expecting, but definitely okay, you know. Um, I fell in love with my life as somebody who's single. Um, that being said, I'm also recognizing um, in not lusting after somebody to complete me, there is an opportunity for intimacy that I think with healing is something that I've become um, potentially ready for, going very, very dead slowly. Um, and as I have tried to date, I have found, yes, what my mind was telling me um, in, my, in my fear was if you're alone with somebody, you're going to act out. If you talk on the phone with a man, you know, outside of the program or something. I mean, it was like very extreme. If you do this or do this, you're just going to lose your sobriety. That has, I, I can't speak for anybody else, but that has not been true for me um, at all. What I have found is that I actually have learned boundaries in the program. I actually am not feeling a lust to have a particular outcome. I love my life now. I have connections and support that help mitigate any feeling of I need to rush ahead or bypass that sense of true intimacy. If there's any kind of 
sense of this is not right. There's some sort of danger. There's some sort of red flag. I listen to it because I don't feel invested in the outcome. So what it looks like is a lot of very slow, tiny, cautious, but open, small steps. But I can't speak for, for anybody else because I truly think that each person's path is different. And the more that I hear God's voice, the more I feel a sense of God does not speak in rules. God speaks in the moment spontaneously for each individual person. Um, but if we speak too much for other people, then um, we can potentially lead them to more openness than they're ready for, or they could be ready for something and we might limit them. Um, I still think it's important that we share and we listen to each other's experiences. But that's why I think we, like I learned that I need to be cautious with listening really to what God is saying and checking in with other people to make sure that, you know, that I am in recovery. But that nuanced approach, I think, is what has um, worked for me. Um, thank you, Medina. Thank you very much. Thank you, Stephanie. Um, people with less than 30 days of sobriety can also raise their hands and others, of course, also. Um, I just raised my hand also, so I have a question also. <clears throat> Thanks for your, for your share, Stephanie. Um, I got into, in my 20s, I, I was raised in a, in a religion, but then I threw it away like many young teenagers. And then in my early 20s, I got into yoga, meditation, I got several times to India for a long time. I got in an Indian sect. Um, I don't want to speak about countries because there is an Indian on this call, but it just happened to be an Indian sect. It could have been a, an American sect, whatever. Um, and for, for me today, and then in recovery, I got back slowly and against my will in the beginning uh, to the religion of my childhood. I reconnected with that and I see it today with adult eyes most of the time. Now, what I want to say is for me today, I see it was kind Hi. of, thank you so much, Margot. I'll wrap it up. It was kind of destructive to meditate without connecting to a personal loving God being that the loving God being I have in my life today do you relate to anything of that? And what I also want to say is I cannot do that anymore today. I really need to do it only in connection to my higher power. But that's just for me. I know it's different for others. Thank you. Thank you so much, Luke. Yes, I, I agree completely with what you just said. Um, those uh, meditation courses that I was doing were maybe similar to some of the things that you experienced. And I was finding that you know, again, before the program, I was going on them and then I was just, my acting out was actually progressing. It might even be part of how I hit my bottom, you know, at the age of 32, that, that might be how that happens because I had no ability to bring what was happening on those retreats into the actual world with others. Um, there wasn't this higher power who was everywhere, always protecting me like I have now. Um, there wasn't a program of support. There wasn't a meeting that I can grab at any time when lust is coming up for me, you know, as a thought. Um, I actually, so right now in my life, I do still go on those retreats, but I connect with a higher power when I'm on them. Um, they're non-denominational, so anybody of any religion can 
do that. And what I find is it does help clear out lust, but um, because I am quieting my thoughts, but I'm connecting with God. It's providing a quiet environment. And I think of it as sort of an 11th step supplement to what I do. My faith tradition now is a Christian-based faith tradition, and um, that's something that I practice in addition. So um, I have my, um, my faith tradition, my emotional connection with God. I have my meditation practice, which is me working my 11th step. Um, so it's, it's interesting to me that um, these um, uh, meditation retreats that I was going on without a higher power were quite destructive. It says in the white book, exactly what you said, it can be destructive to, um, to connect, uh, to try to meditate without a connection to a higher power. And I completely agree with that. I just completely experienced that. And again, I think that's what actually led to my rock bottom. But with that connection with a higher power, with a program of support, with my faith tradition, um, continuing that practice of meditation is, is helpful for me. Um, thank you. Thank you so much. Anyone else who wants to share? Please raise your hand or unmute and jump in. Hi, my name's Lee and I'm a real sexaholic. Uh, thanks, Stephanie. I uh, really enjoyed what you said. Um, my wife used to have a button she wore that says, does the noise in my head bother you? And uh, that is the way my head ran. Is, is that I, I had a roar that was there that finally started getting quiet when all of the addictions went away. And uh, then was a time to hear. And I heard you describe what I consider mystical experiences of union uh, with uh, that uh, when you said you were being held and you're being held by God. And those things are, are familiar with me. Um, and I think they're precious and they're part of my recovery. One of my experiences, though, was is that I needed uh, along for some professional help because I had uh, some mental problems also. Uh, what, has that been any part of your journey? Uh, it certainly did uh, help me and my spiritual journey. Yes, Lee, thank you so much. Um, it's funny because I'm, as I'm hearing your shares, I'm like, yes, that and that and that and that. Um, therapy has been tremendously helpful. Um, I've actually, been, what's interesting is I've been in therapy since I was about 18 years old. Um, I didn't find it helped me very much until I got into the program. And then it helped, it was just like, wow. Um I, um, I learned about SA through a therapist and she was also somebody who introduced me to inner child work. And that was so huge because then I was able to vi visualize to kind of, I was able to visualize God, not just holding me, my adult self, but to also be, you know, basically taking my inner child and throwing her up in the air and laughing with her. And I mean, that really helped develop my emotional connection with God. I didn't, do any inner child work or that really deeper work before it just I wasn't in a place I guess where I was even accessible enough to a therapist I, I think my walls were too high I was too invulnerable I was too numb I never got there but that level of depth increased greatly when I got into the program and um, it was in therapy where in early recovery in particular I just remember 
I realized my childhood is not perfect. I, I just, it was devastating to realize that I wasn't protected um, in, I wasn't protected from, uh, I was the act, I, I, being very vulnerable, I acted out with animals when I was five, six. My mom would leave me alone with um, pets and for hours. It was like basically neglect. And I was like going along saying, my childhood was perfect, you know. Uh, my brother was bullying me, but my mom actually said to me, you know, I didn't realize, I didn't notice that he was bullying. I didn't realize it, but my grandmother did notice. And my mother said, my mom, her, my, you know, her, her mother, my grandmother, she said, she would tell me that you were getting bullied. I'm sorry. I just didn't realize like, actually my mom ended up when I was in recovery, making an amends to me, you know, and that allowed me to just open my heart to my mother more. Um, I didn't realize any of that until the program. And my therapist was instrumental um, in that. And I still continue therapy with a different um, therapist today. It's a huge part of my recovery. So thank you. Lee. Definitely. Thanks, Stephanie. I parallel that experience very, very closely. So thank you. Thank you, Lee. Thank you, Stephanie. Catherine? Thank you, Luke, and thank you, Stephanie, very much for your share. Um, nice to hear you and to meet you. And um, I want to thank you for your share because uh, it, yeah, it, it is very serene and calm and uh, it also makes me calm while I listen to you. And I um, wanted to ask if you have um, a certain method when you sponsor somebody, if you go through the big book with them or if you step into action, um, what is the way you sponsor when you sponsor? Thank you. Um, thank you so much. Um, yes, uh, there's a, a few things. So, I, I personally, um, I'm not, again, I, I can't say this is right for everybody, um, but I tend to have a very hands-off approach. If a sponsee needs something, I am there for them. I mean, to the best of my ability, of course, but I'm there for them. But I don't, I'm very hands-off in the sense that I really let them come to me. I think that approaching a sponsor, approaching somebody is that vulnerability that helps us to heal, learning that. Um, and me experiencing that myself, that learning to reach out for help is something I just didn't do as an active sexaholic. So I'm very hands-off. I really allow them to come to me. In terms of working the steps, um, the way that I was taught and, and that, that works for me is um, uh, reading through each step in, the, in four books, in the big book, um, in the 12 and 12, in the white book, and in Step Into Action. Um, so reading those in all four books and then, um, and then going through, um, the step work and step into action. And, um, and if there's charts or anything like that, doing that, uh, sometimes I do bring in some other things. For example, with step six, there's some really, really deep questions. Um, when I went to a step writing workshop one time, somebody had these, this set of questions for step six that were just so deep. I mean, I was just like, wow. And I, I, you know, it takes about an hour just to work on one defect. But I love those questions, um, half an hour to an hour. But I love those questions. So I share that. Um, there's also many different methods for step four. And some of them are actually more narrative in form. And um, 
narrative and then there's the big book where you're drawing the chart and then I also have an Excel spreadsheet which is you know kind of more efficient so it's kind of every side you know again both sides of the spectrum in terms of being a bit more efficient with you know what are those character defects what is the harm who is the person what is my role um, versus all the way over to the narrative side of really writing out an entire narrative and that is something where I just sort of present sponsees with options. So for step six, step four, some of these steps, I kind of present other methods as well. And I allow them to choose. Step one, same thing. Um, if they want to do a bullet, bullet points, um, that's totally fine as long as they're also including feelings and thoughts and really painting lust as a character in their life. Um, you know, rather than just saying what they did, uh, just the actions. But if they want to do bullet points or they want to go more of a narrative form, I really um, realize that people's minds work in different ways and different things might work better for them. So I try to give some options on some of these steps. But the basics, you know, at the most basic level, it's reading through those four books, uh, the chapter uh, on that particular step, and then going through the, the work and step into action. Thank you so much, Stephanie. I think... Yeah, I just wanted to thank everybody again for um, being on the, the meeting and um, uh, for listening and just your support. I really appreciate it. And I really, just through the questions, um, was sort of marveling at all of the different um, um, uh, elements in life and aspects of recovery. Um, you know, this idea of, of meditating and um, of step work and of therapy and um, everybody being in sort of these different situations um, and, and describing those and sharing about those. Um, I think it just kind of further adds to that sense of there's many tools out there that are able to help us to heal, that healing is possible, that we really can get better. Um, we won't be cured ever. I'm sure that I will always have thoughts of lust that will come in and part of that is um, actually what keeps me, ensures that I will depend on God rather than on self-will. But it's wonderful to know that there's so many um, tools and different avenues out there because we're all so different and we all have such different life experiences. And at the same time, we're unified through our common experience of the destructive nature of lust. Um, so, yeah, I just appreciate all the very, very different uh, questions and things that you brought in that show um, that are basically further contributions to ways that we can um, recover. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, after. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.